Welcome to the Anxiety Lab. I'm Sagar Bhatt, coming to you from New York City. It is gorgeous spring weather, which, it's nice. How can I not say it's nice? Uh, but sometimes it, it does increase the anxiety in terms of, like, pressure. Like, when the weather's perfect, it's like, oh, you, you better have the perfect day or else you're an idiot. Gotta make the most of it. So, so that's one level. Sorry to, to I'm, I'm going in on spring off the bat. It's only what? We're only a minute in. And, and it's not about spring. It, it, it's just about my brain. Because the other element of spring that causes, that, that I guess spikes my neuroses is the fluctuating temperature. If, if you've heard this podcast, uh, you, you're familiar with, or you might be, that I suffer from a lot of my anxiety is is in the arena of making decisions, any type of decision. So what to wear. So in spring weather in New York City, when the, when the spring temperature range is like low 40s to highs of uh, into the 60s, if you're someone who's like trying to wear the right outfit, at, no outfit is good across that entire temperature range. At some point in the day, your outfit is wrong for the weather. The jacket that was comfortable at the start of the walk after 20 minutes in the sun, now you're too hot. A normal person would be like, yeah, that's just the nature of fluctuating temperatures. But me, every time I have to hold my own jacket, I'm like, ah, you fucked this up. This, this day was going to be magical, but you, but you ruined it. Too cold in the shade, too hot in the sun. It's always my fault. So that's where I'm at. But look, that's, that's not where I live. That's sometimes a place I go. And uh, I will be going on a walk later, and I will be aware of this, and I will also enjoy the weather and uh, not be too hard on myself. Don't be too hard on yourself. That, that's, I can't hear that often enough. My guest today is the amazing Emma Varvalukas, who is executive director at the Progress Network, uh, whose mission it is to connect and amplify those voices that are pointing our world in a more positive direction providing a template for a stable and sustainable future. You could check out their work at theprogressnetwork.org. Uh, lots of cool articles and informative talks and other content uh, there. Emma was also executive editor at Tricycle Magazine, which is one of the more prominent Buddhism magazines out here in the West. Uh, it's a great magazine. I would recommend that as well. Uh, Emma was awesome. We, we had a very fun, very meaningful conversation. She said a lot of incredibly helpful and brilliant things about anxiety. Hope you enjoy that. A uh, couple more things. You know, I have t-shirts. I never promote them or merch, should I say. I will say. I never promote them on the episode. I've never talked about it. I have a link buried in uh, the episode notes of every episode. But I, I enjoy, uh, I think they're cool. Why don't you check them out? If you follow me on Instagram, uh, I think I posted something a few posts back, S-A-G-A-R-B-O-T. They don't say Anxiety Lab. It's not branded. It's not branded merch. All it says is uh, thoughts and projections and conclusions and, and assumptions. It's in the vein of those four name shirts. You've probably seen those. I think it started with uh, 
the Beatles. It was like Ringo and Paul and George and uh, uh, the other guy. And there's like a thousand variations. But this one says thoughts and projections and assumptions and conclusions. Uh, it's a black T-shirt with gray letters. Once again, you could find that in the episode notes. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, it would be awesome if you could rate and review me wherever you listen. Uh, if you have an Apple ID, uh, please write me a review there, regardless of whatever app you're using. Uh, that that would be thoroughly appreciated. And of course, you can reach me at theanxietylab at gmail.com or on Instagram, S-A-G-A-R-B-O-T. At the very least, thanks for being here. And please enjoy... Oh, before I start, uh, just some background. Emma and I, before we started recording, uh, we spent about 10 minutes or maybe longer uh, working through some technical issues that were sorted out, um, but that's what you'll hear us refer to in the first few minutes of this episode uh, with regards to some of my real-time anxiety. Anyway, Emma was great and... Hope you enjoy this episode. What was I going to say? Yeah, you know, it, it's so funny when we were working through all that tech stuff. It, it, it always blows my mind when we actually work to solve a problem and then it gets solved. Mm. In my mind, I'm just in this pit of like, oh, shit, this is just going to keep <laughs> staying not ideal. Bad, right? No, I think it's it's if you can switch it around to like, we are going to solve this problem, like there will be a solution. I'm not sure what the solution is yet, but it's going to be solved. And the other person is working with me to solve this. That, that help that helps me sometimes. Yeah. We, we made some, uh, uh this is so corny, but progress, progress <laughs> <Yes>. is possible. <laughs> progress is possible. Even in the, the smallest things like successfully recording a podcast. It, it, I guess it's it's for me. I, I'd love to. I, I first want to hear just what your overall experience with anxiety is. But I, I think for me, and and it just came up right now when we were. I, I wasn't sure. I, I was feeling some shame over. You know, this is my fault. This is frustrating. This is just where I deserve to live in this <laughs> feeling of failure and frustration. That's that's really intense. I mean, that's really heavy. I mean, things that <laughs> that go wrong doesn't mean that that's what you deserve, right? Like we're we are not perfect beings, and we're certainly not totally in charge. Or we think that we're in charge of more things than we're actually in charge of, right? Like you can do your best to set up the recording to, and and this whole thing. You know, you were ready. You had your mic plugged in, your headphones plugged in, yeah. this that and the other thing. It's not under your control that I had a set of headphones that wasn't working properly. Right. Like, how is that on you? Like that? Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's, on, uh-huh. that's on me, but it's also not on me. Like, how am I supposed to know the headphones didn't work? You know, I mean, it's just, it's no one's fault. It's just things go wrong sometimes. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's all a, uh, but that's like a lawyer's explanation for why I'm good, which it works. And that's something I've done in therapy along the lines of cognitive behavioral, like, okay, no, let, let's look at the situation. I'm set up. I don't understand technology. How could I possibly be an IT person all of a sudden and expect to know what I'm doing? There's all that stuff, but I'm, I'm talking about just that, that, that basic feeling of like when something's not going well, of just feeling like just pessimism and, and anxiety that it'll just, I don't know, like this is what reality is is <laughs> yeah I'm, where I usually go with that kind of thing if I find myself in a place like that is like I become a really strong catastrophic thinker so it's really easy for me to jump from like <clears throat> you know thinking about my job or something oh like the tech is going wrong 
oh, like my boss is going to think that I do things wrong all the time. I'm going to get fired. I'm never going to get hired anywhere again. I'm going to die penniless and alone, right? And then all of a sudden you're from like a headphone issue to like dying under a bridge, like, you know, in a horrible way. So that's, that's where I go. Not that I like, that I think that I necessarily deserve that, but like I start to think <laughs> worst case scenario and it's like a really unrealistic worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. But listen, let's say there's some influencer who decided to check in to the podcast this episode where we couldn't resolve the sound issues and within 15 seconds was like, hey, I, I'm sorry, Sagar, I can't do this. I'm out. But they otherwise would have loved this episode and, and would have tweeted it to millions of people and that would have brought me into monetary success. So there, there is a very slim path towards that worst case. And it's funny that that's the worst case scenario is that not happening versus me just dying right now on camera of a heart attack. But, but whatever that is, I, I guess for me, the, the way is to just, okay, yeah, it's unlikely, worst case scenario. Let, let's just first look at how unlikely that is and, and also how it's ignoring all of the other, un, like for some reason I'm focused on this unlikely thing versus something else. Like if I'm really concerned with my well-being, I'm not going to sit here and worry about this thing that has a, 0.001% chance of happening, I'd be more just, I'd eat something healthy for lunch if I'm truly concerned. I wouldn't <laughs> right. just eat. Uh, but it's like, okay, well, even if that stuff happens, that's, you know, and that's where the letting go also helps. It's like, okay, that, yeah, that could happen. It, it's slim, but it could happen. But it's like, all right, well, that's, that's fine too, I guess. Yeah. I mean, something like this, the, what's coming to mind is, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, my mom caught COVID and I went home, I know you're like, you weren't really supposed to like go into someone's home who had COVID, but my mom lives alone and like, there is no way that I was going to leave her alone, you know. Uh, anyway, she caught COVID, I ended up catching COVID, we're both fine, it was, it was a mild case on both fronts, but in the beginning where, uh, this was also in the beginning of the pandemic, so there was not a lot of understanding of COVID as a disease yet, and um I was freaking out. Like, I, like you know, my mom's in her 70s. I, I was, like, my roommate's father had also had COVID at the time, and maybe they were about to put him into the hospital. So, like, there was a lot, like, what could go wrong, worst-case scenario. And um, I did talk to my therapist at the time about it, and there was this feeling of, like, I didn't want to think about what what's the worst that could happen because it feels like when you're doing that you're like ushering that into reality like that so mm. that possibility somehow becomes more likely to happen even though that's completely irrational but actually what happens when you think about the worst case scenario like it sounds terrible like this is going to sound really callous but it's like if the worst case happened like if my mom dies like could I bear that and, and there's something about trusting yourself enough that like wow I mean that would be horrible horrible but like would I live through that would I could I bear that like yes of course I could like yeah. lots of people have you know so anyway sometimes that helps for me and 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 when I do get into this worst case scenario thing like just trusting yourself that, that I, I was listening to this podcast the other day the way that she phrased it the podcast host was I can do hard things I'm resilient like I can do this yeah you you said at first it's like is this callous to think and 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 maybe that's what it feels like, but thinking it and understanding that you can handle that is in a way just ex accepting that this is reality. This is what we live in. You know what right. I mean? Like it, it, it is part of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very, that's 
Buddhist frame uh, framework in a, you know, a nutshell is that the reality of life and death and suffering, you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And you're, no one's going to get out of that, right? Like, so you best figure it out in the time that you have here, because otherwise you're in for a really wild ride. Huh. Yeah. So I, I'm curious what your overall experience with, you know, I, I, I pretty much, I, I wasn't expecting to, but I, I think I unloaded a lot of my own mind into this conversation, my anxious thoughts, getting anxious about talking about my anxiety was also happening. So I, I'd love to just hear your experience with anxiety. So we can be on the same level. So I can be anxious about talking about my anxiety as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. No, I'm happy to do that. So, um, it's funny, if you had asked me, you know, when I was like 20 years old, are you an anxious person? I would have been like, absolutely not. I'm very unemotional and unsensitive and this, that, and the other thing. And I think that that was like a, a really elaborate delusion. Because um, as I went through my 20s, I started to learn more and more that like I am quite an anxious person. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all relative, right? I mean, some people are, are I'm sure, way more anxious than I am. But I'm definitely prone to anxiety. And, um, I think in some ways, like, you know, my friends from high school joke, like always an honor student. It's like a little bit of that, like type A personality of just like, I want to be high achieving, want to be successful, want to be, you know, a little bit of a perfectionist, like anxiety kind of tends to go along with that. Um, but for me, the, the big sort of lesson now that I'm 30 and I can say I'm old and wise and in my thirties, um, the big lesson is that most of my anxiety comes from when I'm not being, not being in, in tune with, with emotions, right? Like I'm not, if I'm sort of squashing an emotion, whether that be anger or sadness or, or disappointment or shame or whatever it be, like that's when the anxiety comes out. So now I know enough that like when I get anxious, I'm like, what am I upset about? You know, and it's sort of like this mystery. And once you can kind of, for me at least, like once I can figure out why I'm upset and what the emotion is, like the anxiety phase as well. Yeah. And what would you say the timeline is of that process? Um, you know, it depends. It depends what it is. Like some, sometimes I'm like, Ooh, I'm, I know myself. I'm so insightful. And it's like very quick and I feel good about it. And then other times it's like months later, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. what I was upset about. Um, so it really depends. And I think it depends on like whether or not I've gone through the situation before, which is just like a sort of a, a trite, I don't know, sort of a trite observation. It's like, I mean, when you've, when you've gone through something before and you recognize the experience of anxiety and yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and you recognize the emotion that's behind that. It's like, of course it's going to be fast. If it's a new experience where like maybe you haven't gone through that life experience before, it might take you some more time to figure out exactly what's going on. I mean, yeah, there was that phase where, for me, I mean, you know, years went by when I couldn't even, I wouldn't have even said that I have anxiety. It's like, no, no, I just need to pace back and forth until I figure out what I'm going to have for dinner. I have it's a just, pacing issue. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't, it, it didn't even occur to me as an issue. It's just like, no, this is important thinking I have to do. Mm -hmm. And these are tough problems. Of course, I have to think about them. Uh, but yeah, it was just completely panic driven. And yeah, I think it took a while to even put the language on it of anxiety and oh, oh that's what this is and then but then this notion of okay well there's stuff beneath it that I'm running away from there's difficult mm. emotions there's fear there's sadness there's you know in my case there's you know memories and well 
I imagine in many people's cases, uncomfortable memories and maybe various things happening in their history that they haven't yet resolved. And, you know, so there's all this stuff just swimming around in, in this soup. And I'm, I'm you know, in, at different points, any one of those elements could be more acute, obviously. But but that's, so, so when I get anxious, sometimes I'll also get anxious trying to figure out where it's coming from. Like, okay, mm. I'm having anxious thoughts. Okay, what is it? Let's listen to the body. Okay, what is it? Is it some memory that, when I was five, uh, let's try to find it. And then it, it, it just becomes its own additional anxiety, you know? Yeah, because what you're doing there is, well, you're f- trying to force the experience of learning, right? Or it's, it's like you've told yourself, like, I know what the answer is to fixing this anxiety. If I can figure out the source, it will go away. So then you're, then you're like, I have to find the source. And you put yourself into this, like, tight thing of, like, must find source. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, which makes sense because you're, at that point you're being driven primarily by like I'm having this unpleasant experience of anxiety I want it to stop and maybe on top of that also like I can't believe I'm like getting anxious again like I'm tired of this right Um, yeah it's so so delicate it's almost as if the rumination like the figuring out of anxiety it it on the surface feels like I'm applying wisdom or applying healing but it's just another it's like my my rumination just took a different shape you know, but it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's the same. And so, yeah, I'm beginning to maybe understand, maybe appreciate, you know, a not knowing and just understanding that I'm anxious and, and maybe just being with that a little bit to truly know where it, it comes from. Sometimes that's accessible for me. Uh, sometimes just naming it as fear is, is okay. Mm. But, you know, again, like what is this you know, like in the beginning of this conversation where I, there was some expectation that I should be able to nail the tech immediately. There shouldn't be any problems. I could have that attitude with my own psychology of like, oh, I should know where this, now that I've read, now that I have some Buddhist training, I should be able to get to the bottom of this. But, but to truly, mm-hmm. I, I would have to like, you know, the amount of thousands of years of some combination of retreats and ayahuasca trips and neuroscience and, you know, the amount of things to truly know this stuff is is astronomical so it's okay to not know right and and where and not maybe not where but why put that pressure and expectation on yourself and is it is it fair right like I was thinking about that this morning actually um you know just sort of musing about before before we recorded this this podcast um why do we expect ourselves to have figured the human experience out. I mean, whether or not you, you believe that this is our first lifetime or our thousandth, like, I, I'm like, I don't, this is the first time I've done this, been a human, as far as I remember, no. So, yeah. I mean, why do I, why am I sitting around here thinking like I should have it all figured out? I mean, we're, sometimes it's easier to be a little bit more gentle with ourselves, for instance, like, um, I'm thinking like the first time that I was managing people at work, I was a terrible manager and, you know, I became a better manager. And in, in, in that period, I was sort of like down on myself, like, wow, you really suck at managing. Like you must be a bad people person or there's that mm. other thing. But it's also like, now that I have some more space from it and I've learned a lot, I'm like, well, no, I just had never managed people before and I wasn't trained and no one told me how to do it. So why would I expect that I would do this really well? Right. And this is yeah. the same thing with the human experience. Like it's going to take some time to get used to things, you know, like no one comes out of the womb as like a, a 
fully enlightened being. Mm. And to bring in another Buddhist principle, I, I mean, this pretty much comes up every episode, but like, what is the self? Like, who do we think we are? You know, like, what is our presumption of the type of person that either A, we should be, or B, you know, that we already are? Because there's a lot of delusion there, too. And and the disconnect between that and reality is is always apparent in these mic in these micro moments of like, yeah, fuck, I should be able to do this better. Mm-hmm. And and what happens is like this idea of ourselves gets fed because, you know, a lot of times we do get compliments. We do achieve things. I mean, you know, you got this great job, you're getting praise, but sometimes that still feeds this deluded sense of who you are. And, and then like, you feel like you have to be that person in every moment. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you kind of nailed it with like the should is such a devilish word. Um, and, and really what it is, it's just like a, you're fighting against reality, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's just that rather than being like, okay, this is the situation we're in now. You're like, I don't want this to be the situation that I'm now. It should be a different situation. And it's kind of like, well, it's not. <laughs> so it would be a lot better if you could just work with it as it is rather than adding on that additional layer of like, I, this situation shouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah. And like, this is who you are too. You you are the impressive person. You're the achiever. You're also the person who makes mistakes, who fumbles around, is unsure. I mean, mm-hmm. how how can we say these are not parts of ourselves? And and I think it's yeah, opening up to that. And and I, I guess the reason why I am always looking to avoid that stuff is because of this other assumption that this stuff is inherently bad or unlovable. Like, if I am this, I'm unlovable, therefore I can't be this. So there's a couple things going on there that Mm -hmm. upon further examination, you know, there can be an opening. Yeah, like, it seems sort of uh, vulnerable or dangerous to say, like, yeah, you know, I I bumble around sometimes or I make mistakes. Like, for some reason, that seems really difficult to say, like, oh, yeah, I do that too, which is, you know, the difficulty of just saying, like, yeah, I'm I'm human. It's like, we we don't want to be human, you know, we just want, like, the the good parts that are praiseworthy. (laughs) But I think that that's, you know, it's sometimes with uh, the Buddhist discussions, this becomes very individualized. I think that there is a cultural element to this as well. Like we're, I've at least, you know, the American culture is very much so supportive of that notion. There's not a lot of room for embracing the full human experience and the sort of hard parts about that like that doesn't appear in our culture very much um those discussions don't happen in the mainstream very often so like it's no wonder <laughs> yeah, yeah we're all kind of like oh no we all need to be rich and successful and if we're not that then like well we should just you know jump in a lake yeah we we internalize that value system mm-hmm. so along these lines of accepting what is i i'm curious about your path going from editor at Tricycle, which is a Buddhist magazine, to the Progress Network. Because, you know, all of these themes about accepting reality, accepting something that is, you know, at times bleak, at times morbid, uh, because those realities exist in our world. You know, part of my own process as of late is, you know, instead of trying to fix it, really just being with these uncomfortable emotions, being with sadness, accept that, you know, life may not turn out as I planned. And, and really just being with that and, and being with that pain. And these are all, you know, mindfulness 
practices, or, or they can be. And, and so you went from that world to the Progress Network, which is a place that does believe in a better future. And, and, and so I, on the surface, these could be seen as contradictory values. I'm, I'm curious how you would reconcile these two. So the contradiction being that when reality is what it is versus the power we have to shape reality, what do you see as the contradiction? Well, I'm, I guess I personally, I, I don't believe there's a contradiction. I'm, okay. I'm, I think on the surface there, someone might think there is mm. because we're talking about accepting reality versus wanting to change reality for, for the better. And so, you know, I, I can come up with my own reasons why these two actually can exist in harmony. Mm. Um, but I'd, I'd love to hear your take on that as well. Yeah, right. So, I mean, just coming at it from a Buddhist perspective, like the sort of like inner work of accepting reality as it is, is not a mandate. And I think this is misunderstood a lot. It's not a mandate to just accept the world as it is, right? Like, just because you... Because just because suffering is is a reality of life and that you have to deal with that as a human being, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be working to ameliorate that suffering where you find it, right? And so that's that's part of it. The other part of it is, okay, you know, the present may have already been fully baked and and to live a life that is sort of filled with equanimity and joy, like you you do need to learn how to accept the present. But you can also take steps to create a future both as a society and as an individual that is better, um, better for you. I mean, that's part of the whole like Buddhist project from an, or just psychological project on, a, on an individual basis is that like by doing the sort of inner work, yeah, you can, you can face external circumstances that I don't want to say better, but for lack of a, of a better word. <laughs> better (laughs) yeah um and then at a at a social level you know we can we can work to create a better future together and part of the sort of success of building a better future get better future together is the buy into the belief that it's possible to do that so that's part of the work that the the progress network is trying to do as well um because i think that some people have this feeling of just like you have absolutely no power in the future that comes at you. Uh, and I don't think it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank, thank you for articulating all of that. Uh, does that answer your I, question? I'm not no, actually No, sure. I agree. <laughs> I agree. And I, yeah, I didn't mean it to come off as I, I was accusing it of being contradictory. That this wasn't some, the point of this episode wasn't to, uh, confront the progress network in any way. No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't taken like that. <laughs> that might've helped the downloads though, in terms of clickbait titles. We should get into an argument. Yeah, maybe we should have had an argument instead. Oh, there's still time. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah, I, I, I like that. And also, what I like about the mission statement, and I'll, I'll just read um, something I just came across on the website as far as w- what the Progress Network is about. Pessimism can focus the mind, but it can also become a self-fulfilling prophecy, leading people to detach and despair rather than galvanizing us. The Progress Network starts with the idea that the widely shared belief that we can work collectively towards a more constructive future is a non-negotiable component of building that future. So, yeah, to me that speaks to we're accepting what reality, we're not running to 
to escape what is. We're looking at what is soberly. And, and we're also recognizing our part in the unfolding. You know, we, we are this idea of having a pessimistic view of the world. Like, I'm pessimistic about the way it's going. Just that statement right there. Like, what is this it that's separate from me? Like, I'm a part of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I love seeing that on the, on the website. Yeah, no, I mean, what you just said was very well put. And it's this, um, I think, I think it's an empowering, it can be sort of <clears throat> overwhelming, but I think that the, the positive way to describe that is that it's empowering to understand that you are creating your reality. You're creating reality for yourself, and you're also co-creating reality with other people on the collective level. Um, and... Yeah, like owning your power about that is is like for me like profoundly um, important because if you're really not in control of like any like how you react to things or creating a society that you would like to see, I mean that would be very dispiriting. I mean, what would be the point? I mean, yeah. What would be the point of getting out of bed then? Huh. Yeah, I mean, it still doesn't mean outcomes are guaranteed, but it means right. I mean there is a power. We are a part of that process. Uh, this is perhaps a insulting example. Perhaps, I don't think it's insulting, but I, I have an example of this that's very small. And because I think maybe there there is something in the fact that it's small that can help just orient ourselves to this agency. I, I was I'm a I'm the only sport I really follow is tennis and I was at a I was at the US Open and uh, there's a bunch of matches happening on different courts and me and my friend entered a stadium that was kind of a third filled. It was a match that I was excited for. Uh, the players were playing well. It was Marin Chilik versus Gilles Simone. Uh, this is for the four people listening who, to whom that actually matters. <laughs> and my friend and I just looked at each other like, yeah, the crowd's dead. No one's, this is a great match. Unfortunately, no one's into it. And it, it was like, wait a minute, we're part of that crowd. We're also just sitting here with our arms crossed. And then I got up and I, I, I started a, a chant for Marin. I just picked Marin. I could have picked Jill Simone, but something about Marin. Uh, he's got the power baseline game. I, I had an inkling maybe if he wins this match, he, he has better odds of, of working himself through the draw. Once again, that's for the four people. And and it was, and this is, yeah, the outcome thing. Like, yeah, maybe in my mind, I, I thought that I had some grandiose fantasy of like really just electrifying the stadium. Now everyone's into the match, but no, like a couple people cheered along with me and it was kind of sad and weird. Um, but I'm, but I'm still glad I did it. And Chillick, not for nothing, went on to win that match, won the U S open. It was uh, 2014. And th- there is to the day I die, there's a small part of me that, that believes that I had something to do with that. Um, <laughs> I like that. I like that narrative. No, I mean, you kind of started with that story of like, maybe this is insulting in that it's small. And I don't think that it's insulting at all. I think that it's really difficult sometimes for, for us to talk, especially at a society wide level. I think that people get very overwhelmed and they're kind of like, well, I don't know. I'm just like waking up and going to work and like trying not to get into an argument with my spouse and like, you know, whatever. Can we chill out a little bit on this? And, and those small examples are not only important in helping people to understand their personal agency, but uh, important in and of themselves because like, your, your life is also made up of these small moments. Um, yeah. And, and like you were saying before, like, okay, outcomes aren't guaranteed. And maybe you had this fantasy of like, everyone's going to like get into it and this, that, and the other thing. But like, that's the outcome, like you were just saying, isn't actually the, the, the thing that stuck with you 
it was like, I'm just glad I did this. It, it was the experience. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. It was just the experience of empowerment in that moment. You know, that's bigger than outcome. That's just a feeling of aliveness and agency. Yeah. And absolutely. I think the more we build that muscle. Yeah. And then you're participating. Like you did, you decided to participate, you know, uh, you can do that in your life in a variety of different ways. And I think that a lot of people sometimes waive their right to participate. Yeah, I, I do this a lot with my friends sometimes, or occasionally I'll get bummed out that a conversation sucks. I'll be talking to someone, someone in my life that I love, presumably, and I'm like, I, hate, I, I can't wait to go home. Conversation's boring. <laughs> We're just talking about X, Y, Z. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm 50% of this. I could, I'm sure this person could take the hit if I tell them that, hey, let's talk about something different or let's just, I don't know, tickle each other or something. <laughs> just something to shake it out of that rut. Yeah, I mean, and you said take the hit too. And it's like, yeah, not only like can they probably take the hit, but also they're probably not sitting there if you think that the conversation sucks. I don't think they're sitting there being like, this is a dope conversation. Like, I'm having the <laughs> best time. Like they're probably also like, and like whatever I'm kind of like going through the motions right now but it probably would be welcome for someone to like shake things up like that you know as long as you don't do that while they're like bearing their heart to you <laughs> I think we could all use a little bit of a shake up of like okay like can we not talk about our jobs anymore yeah like why don't we talk about like I don't know yeah something meaningful it doesn't even have to be big but it can be small but just something something you can grab right that you're like oh yeah like this is meaty yeah, it's that feeling of, of, I guess, victimhood when I'm in that moment of, I guess that's been part of my lifelong belief system is, is this feeling of powerlessness of the world, you know, the world is something that's happening to me. It's not like I have any part of this. So if I even in that yeah moment of like, a bad conversation, or yeah, some energy I don't like this is I'm just an outsider here. Mm hmm. Yeah, my friends have been reminding me of that lately, because I keep on complaining, like, Oh, I I want, I want this outcome to happen and I'm afraid that like this person's going to say no. And they're like, well, you know, you can just, you can just decide that that's the outcome that you want and do that and like, let, let the cards fall where they will. Like, you, like, why are you behaving like you have absolutely no say in the matter? And I was like, well, no, good point. Good point, guys. Yeah, right. Like, cause I think it's scary sometimes to, to admit that you have the, the power as well. Cause then you have the responsibility, right? The with great power comes great responsibility line from, what is that? Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny how that quote has endured. Um, <laughs> I guess the movie hasn't endured as well as that quote. I remember nothing from that movie other than that quote. I don't even remember that quote. It's because other people say it. Yeah, well, it I, I it's a profound one. What else can we say? But, yeah, the issue of... I, I'm thinking of... I, I heard Tara Brock speak to... She was making a distinction between spiritual hope and attachment. Mm. And so with, with regards to letting go of outcomes, you know, she was speaking to really cultivating this quality of spiritual hope. And, and the way she differentiated was, you know, attachment is things are going to go our way. We're going to be happy. We're going to be healthy. The people we love are, are going to be safe and protected. And ultimately that stuff keeps us very, you know, contracted and holding on. It, it takes us out of presence and it, it takes us out of what is actually a, a more embodied hope, which she defines as spiritual hope, which 
is a longing from awareness to manifest our potential for beauty, for loving, for wisdom, for creativity, for wonder, uh, longing to manifest bodhicitta, which uh, are, are, are seeds of an awakened heart. So, I mean, to me, this speaks to maybe just, just, just this hope existing in, in the moment. It, it, it's a feeling and a connection, you know, and, it, and it's maybe tapping into a, a certain goodness within us and, and wanting that goodness to unfold. And, and if we can do that, then I think that's a good place to start. Because sometimes getting, getting into, yeah, I love what you said about how the other kind of attachment gets in the way of this because then we're in our minds and worrying and ruminating and, and, and in that worrying and rumination is just a ton of scaffolding and assumptions and delusions that, that's maybe taking us further away from, from what, what is actually important. Yeah, no, that's really lovely. I mean, Tara Brock always, you know, uh, is really lovely the way that she describes things. Um, and, yeah, the attachment to outcomes thing is also because you don't have control over the outcome. People think you have control over the outcome. And, like, we're saying now, you know, in this conversation, you can influence it the best you can. But you don't have control over it. You do have control how you approach things. You know, you have control over what's inside of you. But you, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, look at this pandemic, like, I had a lot of plans for 2020 and 2021, you know, I mean, that's not what happens. Um, and the pandemic yeah. is sort of like a, sort of like very spiritual in that way, because it's, it's how rare is it for the, you know, almost the entire globe to go through that experience at one time, this, this realization, real time, collective realization that we're not in control of outcomes. It's such a... I mean, I don't know that I've fully let go of that. I mean, it's still, it's still a yeah, angst-driven process of sometimes trying to will control. And when you, I guess, widen the lens and look at what it is I'm actually trying to control, you realize it's uncontrollable. Yet there is this again talking about going back to what we said before about expectations and who we think we should be. Like there is this sense of like I should be able to control this. There's, the world is static. You know, it's up to me to just game it out and there will be an answer. Yeah. And I, and I think that it's this weird thing of like, so we've been talking about acknowledging our power and, and also acknowledging where we don't have power. And I think a lot of people have put, I'm just saying this from like seeing friends go through this with the pandemic. A lot of people have put a lot of pressure on themselves to hit this, this expectation for their career and their like own psychology and this, that, and the other thing when the pandemic might have wiped out their industry for the past year when the pandemic has like totally uprooted them in a way that is not nourishing. It's a way that's extremely difficult. Um, yeah. And you don't have control over that. You have no control. You know, if you were <clears throat> an actor, let's say, and you haven't been able to work for this past year, like that's not under your control. You can try to swerve, but like, I don't think I think it's unfair for people to, to to put that kind of pressure on themselves. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like we. I mean, it it for me it goes back to childhood. There was some volatility, you know, in my household growing up, and then this feeling of like, well, I should. This isn't. This is something that's volatile. It's not something that I'm responsible for, and you know, I, I kind of internalized that volatility is being something that I should be able to be on top of. It, this is up to me to fix. It's fixable. I didn't really, you know, some people talk about it feeling like some, I know some people grow up 
uh, in different environments and feel like any type of volatility is their fault. I, I, I don't so much as connect with that. I, I think I knew it, or at least consciously, it didn't seem my fault, but I at least felt as though I was responsible. Like I had the power to, to fix everything. And looking back, it's like, no. And, and you know, that, that's the pattern that continued. I, I always feel like this, this deep sense of, I guess, working everything out you know, figuring everything out in a way that, in a way that mitigates any type of uh, negative outcome or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely resonate a lot with that. I mean, I, th- I think that probably a lot of people's anxiety comes from a relatively volatile childhood in some way or another. Um, yeah. And I, I definitely understand that feeling. I've definitely internalized that feeling, Um I think not so much on like a really large, large level, but just on a level of uh, like people around me, like I can fix what they're upset about or I can fix what what's bothering them or something like that. And um, there, there doesn't have to be that wisdom. It's like, it's a Christian quote, right? Like God grant me the something to, how is it? God grant me the something, the wisdom to know basically like what I can fix and what's out of my hands. I forget exactly how that goes. Let me look it up. It's worth hitting. Yeah, look it up. Save me from this uh, poor memory recall right now. It's. I think it's called the Serenity Prayer. It's. Yes, um, that sounds right. It's used. I'm most often hearing it in the context of like addiction groups or Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, here it is. Okay. Unfortunately, the first thing that came up was. Okay, this is just someone's Etsy art, but it's it's <laughs> the quote. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There we are. That's, that's what I was pointing to, like that wisdom of the things that are in your control, the things that aren't. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a... Uh, sorry, I'm getting... <laughs> this, where I'm reading the quote is, is like aggressively trying to sell me the very plaque that I'm reading from, and now maybe, I'm getting a pop-up from get customer it. support. Maybe you can commemorate this episode. <laughs> Yeah, listeners, go to noirgallery.co and discount code anxietylab. <laughs> uh, speaking of God, okay, my, my therapist laid this quote on me, which I really loved, which is, uh, it, it's better to sin under God than to be with the devil. So in the context of a vi- volatile household growing up, it's better that I'm bad and this is, you know, it's up, like it's it's on me to fix this or... I'm the reason this is happening because at least the world itself is okay. You're not living in this mess of reality that's unpredictable and chaotic. That's almost too much to bear. It, it, it's easier just to think of it as my problem and my thing to fix. Mm. Better to sin under God, mm. to be a sinner under God. So I'm the sinner than to sit, than to be with the devil. The devil being just, Obviously, that's a dramatic way to look at reality, but just in terms of like, yeah, this is volatile. This is a um, landscape that I don't have total control over. There's, there are awful things happening. Like, it, it, it's hard to really sit with. Right. Well, especially as a child, you know, uh, it's yeah. very understandable why those psychological security blankets, for lack of a better word, would would end up coming into play because it's a lot easier to sort of tell yourself like, oh, no, I can I can fix this. Then, yeah. then as a kid, be like, oh, like I don't know, like maybe my childhood kind of sucks, 
you know, because there's nothing you can do about that as a kid. What are you going to do? Run away? You know, I mean, so, sometimes if it's really bad, people can do that. But most people, that's you can't you can't change your circumstances. You don't yeah. make money. You don't have any skills. You are a child, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely part of that work is like now that you're an adult, like what what psychological security blankets are still helpful and which are not, I think has yeah. been my thing. And to, you know, better flesh out your perception of, quote unquote, the devil. It, yeah, it feels imposing. It feels like something you can't be with. But the more you turn towards it, like, yes, all of that brutality exists and awfulness and unpredictability exists. But as we touched upon with talking about the mission of the Progress Network in terms of, you know, what, what's also true? All of these other things are true. Chaos, collapse, possibilities of... Uh, negative outcomes, but there's plenty of ideas and evidence for the good that exists within humanity and uh, so many awesome things that are happening and people who are doing good and are driven to do good. We, we've seen so much of that happen over the last year um, in terms of activism. And, and so all of that is, is and, and again, the, this idea of spiritual hope, that, that is something that is absolutely there. Uh, when when we I guess quiet the mind and really tap into this inherent goodness and presence, you know, for me it can be as small of a moment as just sitting across the dinner table from my partner and really looking, you know, just just being with her and like, oh, this is a a live person and your your heart just opens up. You know, the, these moments are there. Yeah, they they are there and they're everywhere too. You know, like that's the the part of the whole meditation experience is that you're sort of training yourself and opening up to those moments. And the more you open up to them, the more you realize that the capability of them happening is all the time. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, it's a dis, uh, the discipline for me is there in terms of taking the time, quieting the mind is because there's so much, there's such a thick cloud of thought <laughs> and anxiety and it takes time to kind of cut through that. And once I do, even just, yeah, looking at my hand is amazing. Right. It's a Tibetan expression about meditation where uh, even if, regardless of the weather, the, the sun is always there, right? Like you could have like a terrible cloudy day, mm. terrible rainy day, but when the clouds part, the sun is always there. It's a it's a constant. Um, I feel like that's what we're, we're pointing to right now. And so if you are really obsessed with the clouds, your whole world is going to be that cloud, right? If you can remember that the sun is behind the clouds and you're going to have a very different experience and you're also going to offer a very different experience to other people, right? Like that's something that, that we've been sort of skirting around is that if you're, if you are able to be less caught up in that smog and in that cloud, like if you are caught up, that's what you're giving to other people. That's the experience you're giving to other people. If you can get out mm. of that, like you're, you're able to do something really generous, which is like offer warmth and love and kindness and, openness um and that is also very powerful i think because yeah when we kind of pass on this kind of just yeah this this perception of darkness and cloud cloudiness i mean that that all exists within us on some level so when someone passes it on to me that just reinforces my own sense of it and then i'll pass it on to someone else and and it's been yeah it's been cool to you know cut through with moments of light and i mean and i guess oh, go ahead please. no go ahead no, yours was yours is better. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. Mine had, <laughs> you go, you go. <laughs> no, because mine had the. I, I'm, I'm a little bit. I think mine has the energy of filler. I'm, I'm sensing. Okay. 
Well, I'm not sure if I can necessarily say that mine's any different, but I will say, you know, it just, it makes me think about just your podcast as a, as a whole. And, and also the, these tech things that happened in, in the beginning is that I think if we could change the mindset from like, Oh fuck, this isn't going right to like, this is an ex, this is a gift. It's a, like being chill about it is a gift that I can offer to you. And is a gift that you can offer to me. Right. Like the generosity of being like, Hey, we're in this together. We're going to figure this out. Um, and the podcast is, is that too, like you're giving a gift to someone to be able to come on and have a conversation and they're giving a gift to you. You know, it's this exchange and the podcast makes that explicit, but I think that that is a framework that is throughout our lives. It's just not always made explicit, but I like to try to keep it in the forefront of my mind because that, that calms me down as well, mm. that you're giving people an opportunity to be awesome rather than the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, or alerting them to – I was right, by the way. That was way better than the thing I was going to say. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for validating me. <laughs> but actually, I'm validating myself because your thing is complimenting me anyway. Either way, it's win-win for me. <laughs> uh, but no, no, seriously. I, yeah, it's, it's about I, – I, yeah, when you widen the awareness, all you have to do is widen it. And inevitably, good things will enter into your, your field of presence. Yeah, I think the more you can – train yourself to recognize the good things like so it's the widening right like for sure and then also just like naming them and recognizing them as they yeah happen, right you know so so rather than like uh so you know the, the tech freak out happens and then the tech thing is fixed and then you just like forget about it like taking that moment to be like oh it's all fun you know like really feeling like everyone was chill it got figured out like thanks to my brother-in-law for getting me this second set of headphones isn't he awesome you know just like really like like appreciating that and sitting in that for a little bit longer than we're used to and being yeah and being seen in ways we weren't necessarily prepared to be seen as you know if i'm if i'm over here i'm polished host i'm i'm, I'm gonna welcome you on I'm going to be professional, but now I'm unsure, stuttering, getting frustrated at whatever echo is happening. Like there, there's a little bit of a, like, oh, this isn't life. This is some in between, you know what I mean? Like the feeling is that this is some weird in between moment. This is an actual life. Right, right. And and I think also just the the very experience of podcasting itself, because usually I do this in your seat and, and not in my seat. I'm usually interviewing people. Um, it's it is that experience of a produced conversation like you're giving somebody a product and i think yeah. the the less you can move away from that actually creates for a better podcast um but for some reason it does sit in your mind of like i need to give someone like a good podcast experience like and what does that mean and like how do i do that and like am i saying smart things and are the guests and i you know vibing and like this that and the other thing like I don't know what my larger point is with this, but I'm just kind of. <laughs> no, I'm with you. It, yeah, it's it's a little bit trippy too because we're essentially talking about embracing the unpolished. Yet, I'm hoping that I make that point in a polished way mm -hmm. because it is ultimately, on some level, a performance or a product. Not everyone thinks of it that way, but my narcissist brain, you know, can't help but to engage with it that way. <laughs> The problem on the other end, too, is that I think that part of this also is the conditioning in terms of people listening to take things in as a product. And I think that's what's, what's kind of nice about your podcast is that you're, you are trying to, to offer a more 
full experience where oh yeah like maybe there are some silences I, I mean not that not that you're trying not that you're trying to do this but like maybe it would be okay if like there were, are some silences or some stuttering or like I don't know someone says something stupid <laughs> and that the, the that the person listening can be like oh like that's fine you know it's it makes it sort of like a, a wider spiritual experience than just like listening to a podcast I suppose I one day hope to have that type of listenership. I don't know that I do right now. They're finding this moment very uncomfortable. <laughs> it could be. They might have, we might have gone too, too meta or too in the weeds at the same time. I'm, I'm so grateful you, you drew our attention to, to that element. I'm like deliberately talking slower. <laughs> I'm glad you feel grateful because I'm right now being like, I feel like I might have taken this in a weird direction. No, it, I, I, it, it's the embodiment of the brilliant point you were making, which regard. Oh, no, yeah, now you're frozen. That was amazing because we were just talking about embracing all aspects. And I was comfortable embracing all aspects in my very limited frame but then when the connection cut out i couldn't embrace that so that was a lesson i mean the universe has a great sense of humor you know like some people would look at that and be like this is horrible but if you can look at it as like yeah the universe is funny like that yeah i think what i've learned is you know i've, I've maybe softened in terms of looking at my own obsession with presentation you know i've been a comedian for so long and, and very in, interested in how I appear to others, very invested, always looking for that outcome of, you know, laughter and admiration. And, and, you know, and that hasn't gone away now that I've gotten into something more vulnerable. I mean, the easy narrative is to be like, oh, yeah, now I'm more in touch with my sadness, my anxiety, and all of that's true. But there is still that part of me that's like, oh, how, how is this coming across? How is this coming across? How are they, even my rant about embracing all aspects of myself, even the less flattering ones. So that, that too is something that I want to be flattering. Mm. And, and, and I think over time, it's like, okay, I don't have to, that's just going to be there and it'll come up. And when it does, I can maybe breathe around it and not let it take over and, and just, you know, and make friends with that too. Because I think before I made the mistake of like, okay, well, that means this podcast is bullshit too because I'm still just as concerned with presentation. But like, no, all of these things can swim around. Yeah, and I think sometimes too people make a little bit of a mistake when they go into Buddhist or meditation practice that they think that doing these things means that the things that they don't like or like the things that are difficult will stop happening. Like that's not the case. You know, you're never going to be a human that like isn't angry or like maybe a little neurotic about presentation or, or dis. Well, this, that, and the other thing. It's that they're not consuming you anymore. You know, like, you can have the experience without that experience defining you and just, like, having, like, a hostile takeover of your brain. Um, yeah. Uh, I might have mentioned to you this would go an hour. We're a little bit over that. So uh, I'm happy to leave you to your day now unless there's anything you'd like to add or plug. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, good. Me too. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. So it's, uh, it's uh, fun to be in the, the opposite seat. Um, I don't know if I have anything to plug other than, you know, for people to check out the Progress Network. It's just theprogressnetwork.org. 
and um definitely you know if you like what we're doing there give us a follow on your social media thing of choice we do have a podcast that's going to be coming out starting in the summer so if you're a podcast fan uh yeah thank thank you so much thank you all right take care that was emma varvalukas thank you again to emma i really love what she said about regardless of the weather the sun is always there if you're obsessed with the clouds your whole world will be the clouds but if you can remember that the sun is behind the clouds you're going to have a different experience And obviously, if it's cloudy and windy, unlike my earlier example, you won't regret layering up. That's the rest of that Tibetan saying, I believe. Once again, if you could rate and review The Anxiety Lab, uh, that'd be awesome. You could find me at theanxietylab at gmail.com or S-A-G-A-R-B-O-T on Instagram. That's it for this time. Take care.